right now. We're recording. This is live. We are currently in the magic, throwing the heat out. Well, then you know what that means, Mr. Harrington? It's time to welcome everybody back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. Woo! Welcome to the show. Nice to see you, Harrington. And we got G-Mike back in action. Hasn't been here for a while. Nice to have you with us. Um, sorry I missed you guys last week. I was out in Colorado. I'm back to gigging. I was retired from comedy when I had that little uh, falling out with LOL, but now I'm back in the game. I already did Boston with Davey Smith. I got Philadelphia coming up this weekend. I headlined for the first time out. Thanks to my friend Kyle, who's going to be on the show uh, later in this episode. I had an absolute blast out in uh, Colorado. Um, and I got some other gigs coming up. I got Cafe 9 next Wednesday, show at 830. Is that, will, is that Lemmy show? That is with Mike Lemmy headlining. Hell yeah. Um, doing a spot on that it's uh gonna be a wednesday night show coming out i will be performing at skank fest yeah that's gonna be a good time maybe i'll convince dave to do a live part of the problem out there as well if you're a part of the problem fan or run your mouth or let me know if you uh plan on attending skank fest here's another fun date that i'm gonna be doing i'm an independent booking king I don't need the clubs. I don't need the systems. I don't need anyone to help me out. I'm just making connections and booking myself all over the place. Childerberg, you remember the fad cast, Mr. Harrington? Yes, sir. We were beefing with those guys. They defamed us. They had an episode of ours taken down, and then we restored the peace. Now we're friends. We did the uh, the Run Your Mouth Book Club episode uh, on uh, the Bitcoin Standard. While I'm going to be out there, they do a festival out in the woods. They're uh, really getting ready for the Boogaloo. It's, throwing, a, yeah. it's a good place for them. Dude, they're throwing a party in uh, in Austin, out in the woods, and I'm going to be doing stand-up show from the back of a truck by a uh, by a fire. They booked me, dude. That's going to be fucking sick. This is like it's it's depressing to me that that's probably the second biggest gig you booked all year. But um, no, I'm keep I'm doing it unique. I'm doing it in my own style. I'm showing up to where the fans are, and if that's in the middle of the dude in the woods while they plan a rebellion based around good sandwiches and wine bottles, I'm fucking in for that party. So get your tickets, Childerberg. It's right after the Libertarian National Convention. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a party. Wait, so why aren't you going down there for the for the convention, dude? Like Robbie Bernstein at the convention wearing one of those fucking straw hats, just like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just starting shit with people. That'd be great. That'd be fun, start some shit with people. Probably get a lot of good like interviews out of it. I could just be like, run your mouth from the hallway, get like the old school... Uh, over the um, shoulder recording thing, like they used to have, maybe even wear a suit. Maybe wear a suit, have a briefcase, get one of those old school recorders with like those old microphones hanging out of the briefcase, just running around interviewing right. people. I could have some fun with that. Plenty of room for sandwiches in a briefcase. So much, dude. That's actually hilarious to have a like open up the briefcase and it almost looks like cocaine, but it's just like really neatly organized sandwiches, <laughs> like labeled. Here's the brisket. Here's the. Uh, um, I think, uh, to be honest, they actually booked my flights in hotel, and I think I told them that I would just show up after the convention, but if, I guess, the flights that I booked does correspond with some of the time of the convention, maybe I'll go by for a little bit, but for the most part, conventions are speeches, I don't really like sitting through speeches, um, and, uh, it was kind of expensive to get a ticket for that shit, and anyways, the, the fun thing is hanging out with the people, and I'm bringing the party to the people, I'm gonna be out in the woods, doing stand-up from the back of a pickup truck by a campfire in the middle of a libertarian convention revolving around uh, freedom, sandwiches, and wine. I'm not such a wine guy. I'll bring my own booze, but I like when people get obsessed about the drink that they're drinking. You know what I mean? I When it's wine, I don't. I don't like that. There's something about it where it's just like, dude, you you're 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 drinking alcoholic grape juice. Like don't don't tell me about what the nose is and the body and there's no fucking oak in here. It's it's grape juice that gets you drunk. Like fuck off. That's uh I, I, I can respect that criticism. While I comment on that, if you want to Google right now, I was just listening to an Eddie Pepitone bit where he was uh talking basically the joke that you just made where he gets really pissed at friends who are like reviewing wines it's off of his album not a great stillness which is uh i just found he put out a new album you'll find it i think it's like the tr the second or third track the second one might be about yelp and then the third one is about uh him saying fuck you to his friends who review wine i think this is it but in my last job i remember there was this like fratty guy and he was even like getting obsessed with uh rosé all day and I just respect when someone's passionate about whatever their liquor is, even if it's liquor that I don't consume. You got the track, hit it. 
I also can't stand the way, you know, uh, the snootiness of certain products have gotten lately. Like, like the way fucking people are sold wine or the way they get into wine um, is hilarious to me. Like, I actually was at a dinner party the other day and my friend actually said, you know, I think this wine has a playful finish. <laughs> If you ever hear a friend saying that, tell him to work in a prison. <laughs> because he is not tethered to reality. It's done. It's gone. He's living in gourmet specialty world. I like to fuck with people at a dinner party and take a sip of wine and go, you know, I disagree. I think it has a silly finish. <laughs> no, really, I think this wine tastes like a car full of clowns. <laughs> do you detect notes of a hand buzzer? I do. A slight hand buzz? No one else sensed the floppy shoes in this wine. No one. <laughs> Dude, Eddie's the fucking man. I love Eddie. Wait, wait. He, you know, he had a great punchline after that. I. That's all they had on the... Great punchline is something about, like, the guy mentions, like, uh, the bottom of, like, the, the rainforest. And he's like, so you're tasting death? It was something like that. By the way, you know what the joke he had before that on the album, which I loved? And we've said this on the show that you can't use Yelp because it's like... Jimmy's Corner, that's a bar that I love. And you'll have one person going, it's a great dive bar. And the next guy saying, this place sucks, it's a dive bar. And that's what the place is. He had this great joke where he goes, uh, you know, like the Yelp, the disparity is insane. It'll be one person go, this taco was so good, I wanted to fuck it. And then the next person will be like, that taco killed my entire family. (laughs) (laughs) That taco tastes like it's been fucked. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, I checked out the uh, the debate the other night. Did you watch any of the debate, Mr. Arrington? Absolutely not. Zero of it? Ab- not one minute? None. I heard that it was in Vegas after, and that did make me kind of interested, so I'm, I'm a little upset that I missed it, but what the fuck's Elizabeth Warren still doing at the debates? You did know, anyone tell her she lost yet? Well, at least, uh, you know what, not that I like Elizabeth Warren, not that I vote for Elizabeth Warren, uh, but from a pure entertainment value... Let me tell you, she kind of turned off that one, Eli, that wine, my daddy, and we're going to get them health care, and I just think the poor people, she turned that thing out, and she went full-scale nasty bitch, man. She fucking turned it on. You saw the inner lawyer in her. She put the squeeze on uh, Bloomberg, and let me tell you, she not that I think she's going to win, not that I think she's more likable, but she put on the performance of a lifetime going after Bloomberg, and... Uh, well, all the debates before this were uh, pretty boring, this thing finally started to heat up. People started to realize, hey, there's some urgency here. And it was actually mostly just the players that matter at this point. At one point, uh, Pete, Mayor Pete, was going after uh, Clubber Langface. And, uh, I don't know who that is. Uh, Amy Clubber Chair. Clubber Langface? Oh, that's what I'm calling her now. You know, you can look her up. Clubber Chair, she kind of looks like uh, if Quasimodo became a girl. That's the best. Like, if Quasimodo was like a Pinocchio doll and then wished to, the, the, like, to transgender into a real girl, she would have came out as a Clubber Langface. Yeah, that thing can't be president. Amy Clubber chair. Hey, can you pull up the picture? And she, she you know, she's got like a, a boyish haircut. Um, she just kind of, yeah, I don't know. There's not much more that needs to be said about her. She can't be president. You mean, you just think she's too rotten looking. She looks like a she- gym teacher. <laughs> what do you say a lesbian gym teacher, but like in gymnastics or something. Dude, she she looks like a rotting pumpkin. Yeah, rotting pumpkin's not bad. Uh, at some point, her and uh, her and Mayor Pete were like getting into it, and I almost felt like that could have been a like a main event, like as if it was a UFC or something. They could have just put that beforehand. Um, do you guys have something? All right, I'm just gonna keep moving here. Um, so, Clubberture and Pete were going at it. I felt like that could have been the undercard. Those are the two guys that kind of need to be removed from the thing. Um, and then Yang Gang, he's out of the race, but he got a job with uh, CNN. Uh, and did he, did he really just bank up? Yeah, he either maybe someone like kind of bought him out where they're like, dude, why don't you run the next time? You're already out of the race, and if you bow out now, we'll get you this job with CNN. 
Um, but when I saw I got the job with CNN, I, I want to fucking run for president. It is good publicity. Not only is it good publicity, you run on other people's money. You fundraise money. You get like, it's all free, uh, fundraise. It, it's all money, like free money for you. If you can get enough money coming in and make people think that you're a serious enough player, serious enough player. Like I could run on the sandwich for all Americans platform. That's the same as this thousand dollars a month. You just come up with some wacky shit. It's wacky enough that you get a little bit of publicity with that little public publicity, you fundraise a little bit enough money that you can keep getting onto all these news platforms, then all of a sudden you become a mainstream name, and then you just leave, it costs you fucking nothing, and you end up with a good job at CNN, and then you just get to continue to have sex with your cute Asian wife. That, like, that just sounds like a win all around to me. Well, I, I, you know, there, there is levels to this shit, you know what I mean? Like, Mike Bloomberg's running around, the, the man's dropping $350 million to not become president. Uh, Yang, I think, did invest quite a bit in himself in this campaign. A lot of his own money went into this. A lot of his own money went to giving people a thousand dollars a month, which he did out of his own pocket. As an example Where of how the from? Where did he? Uh, how much of his own money did he put into this campaign? I mean, I can I can look into this now, but I I, I guarantee you, Andrew Yang. Uh, I mean, he didn't have a base. He built his own base, so he had to have started that from somewhere. Yeah, like just because he, he made a wacky announcement of, "Hey, I'm a smart guy. I know math, and I." Can get you a thousand dollars a month and people were like hey this sounds interesting it's like the guy who was like the rent's too damn high you just need some interesting catchy slogan um you know an interesting look and uh you make some bold proclamations that you can fundraise enough just to stick around in the race a little bit for some free publicity i'm I, and i'm running the the cock king of america is switching from the libertarian party to whatever there's going to be uh, a run for next i'm going to run on the free sandwich platform um, I'm going to try and fundraise as much as I can just to stay in the race for a while. I'm going to proclaim wacky and random ideas and uh, hopefully just get some publicity out of it. Put Run Your Mouth on the map and then uh, do our biggest summer tor porch tour yet all out of um, fundraising money. That's the plan here, Harrington. I'm not mad at that at all. I love everything about it. Um, all of our meals paid for out of campaign funds. Yeah. This is this is like we're not old enough to run for president. Neither one of us is. However, we're, we're probably old enough to run for state senator, right? Good enough. And we can just start getting, you know, get we can get some tax free money in here to do whatever we want with. I want a marching band as part of my campaign. That's what I want. All right. I mean, I don't know if we're going to be able to get that level of donor, but marching bands and margarita mix. So here is a God's honest question, right? Like you're a very good salesman, Robbie. You spend most of your day calling people, convincing them to give you money, right? That's I wish that was true, but yes. Well, all right. You know what I'm saying, right? And in, in the in the abstract, that's what you do. Um, I'm sure your 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 actual day to day is not nearly as glamorous. However, a large portion of your day is spent trying to get people to give you money now if you had like going on a cake break because i'm frustrated and i don't want to send out cold emails and then eventually i have a call and i'm like fuck i gotta take this call fuck i gotta take this call and then i turn on for the call and then i dread sending out the proposal and then i'm here at 10 or 9 and i didn't do comedy because i didn't want to send out the proposal and then i have a drink and i send out the proposal and then i finally bike home and it's two in the morning and i'm like fuck what did i do with my whole day that would be the more accurate portrayal but i like what you were preaching i'm out there and i'm selling and i'm a good sales guy and now you think that i should go do what you're a winner robbie bernstein clearly everybody knows that uh what i'm saying is if you had a bottomless pit to put that money in that you could then draw out of you don't need to actually sell anything anymore just tell people you're running for things and just individually call them and try to get your campaign financed oh you're saying i should run a scam where it's I not a scam you need to be a scam i like i just i invent a campaign and I say I'm really going to run with this campaign, and then I can start fundraising for the campaign, which is basically selling myself. And then I can always use the funds to to finance the campaign, which is really my lifestyle because my lifestyle is campaigning. It's a little bit circular, um, which is basically that's the point. We're pointing out the way that these people live. But I like what you're thinking. I, we should get in on the racket. I look. I'm just saying we can't beat them. We might as well join them. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. The Sandwich King of America. Okay. So I was watching the debate, and uh, listen, it's heating up. It's becoming more interesting. There's a lot of attacks going all around. Um, Bloomberg did not handle himself so well. We knew going into it he was going to handle some tough questions. Uh, the toughest questions, obviously, being stop and frisk and why he was uh, having the cops uh, feel up black kids. And then also all of the horrendous things that he said at work, which to you and me wouldn't be that horrendous. But some of the lines were pretty funny. Have you seen some of like, the really terrible things that Bloomberg has said? 
Uh, wasn't it? We need to have like more. Co- all I saw is just you know he he, he, he black people are criminals. But well, the, the funniest one, you know, because it was more on the uh, like sexual assault side or just having said inappropriate things at work. But his funniest line was uh, the dress code here is going to be short skirts and fuck me shoes. I mean, fuck me pumps was a was like that's considered a real fuck me pumps are are. There, I'm gonna Google this right now. Oh, I thought he invented that turn of phrase, and I thought that was a funny turn of phrase. Fuck me shoes. I never heard that before. No, so it's the the pumps are like the the like six inch stilettos. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, Amy Winehouse had a very popular song with that exact same name. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look up like what exactly they are. Um, I think, uh, I think your levels might be a little bit high at the moment. Okay, let me turn that down. Um. Yeah, I'm not. I'm literally only seeing the Amy Winehouse thing keep coming up again and again. Uh, but what are here? Do do do. Yeah, take a look behind you. So those are fuck me shoes are just high. I figured that they were high heels. I got what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, fuck me pumps is that's uh yeah usually that's more an actual expression. High heels usually four inches or more and usually of the stiletto style. So yeah. he didn't even make that up. That's he just wanted women in high skirts and uh, high heels. Yeah, I, I gotta say, there's nothing. What's wrong with that? Nothing gets me more revved up than a high like nothing's nothing's a lady asking for more than like a high skirt. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if asking for it is the right verbiage there, but yeah, I mean for sure there definitely is something to be said for you know a woman in a short skirt or a sundress. Anytime I see a woman in a sundress, it's sundress immediately is, like uh, sundresses are hot, but in a different way. They're like. They kind of have like a good girl vibe to it and like a flowery thing and like an upbeat thing. Not quite like the office high skirt when you're wearing like the pantsuit type thing, but with a high skirt shows like a lot of upper leg. Yeah, but there is something about a sundress where it's like essentially made out of paper mache. So under the right light, you can just like, you know, if they're wearing underwear or not and what color that underwear may be, you know, so it's like, I, I don't know. I, I definitely do think that like that to me is it's way less of a good girl thing and more of like a yeah, I'm wearing this only until I can get it ripped off me. Yeah, and then it's like, I'm going to follow around this chick all day at the office until I get that right like angle where I can see through this thing. And that that's what makes it exciting. You're like, if I can just get her into the right room with the right lighting, you know, you're calling up the janitor, you're like, hey, I need you to make the following adjustments. And like, you try and get her into the uh, conference room because, you know, the lighting's different in there. I get it. Um, all right, so... I was watching the debate, and then I was watching afterwards Elizabeth Warren. Um, she went on uh, CNN. Actually, I think all the candidates kind of went on CNN to review their um, the like the debate itself. And once she was on CNN afterwards, she was kind of talking about healthcare and going broke and what the problem is. And I realized that as most of these people are not really putting together proposals, um, or they're not really saying, "Hey, I have this plan," or "Here's my vision for what we can change." What's really going on at these debates is it's more of a wine-off. That's kind of what I would describe it as. Someone goes, hey, healthcare, and then they'll go, well, I know this person, and because they got sick, they ended up living in a van, and here's the horrors of healthcare, and it's basically who can most dramatically whine. And the problem about that game is, of course, the Jews are going to win. And that's why the choices right now are Bernie Sanders and Michael Bloomberg, which are two different variations of whiny Jews. They're playing it a lot differently. But at the end of the day, I don't care how gay Pete is. I don't care how much of a whiny lady um, or, you know, lying old hag Elizabeth Warren is. If you're going to play the who can whine the best, the Jews have been doing it the longest. You're not going to win. And, and like, and by the way, and it's amazing how it's like, you know, you can be like the world's greatest guitarist as Jimi Hendrix, but then you can also have a really good guitar player of like David Gilmore in his own acid rock style. And like, no one's comparing the two. And obviously Jimi Hendrix is better, but, or, or I'll say this, like Jimi Hendrix is the greatest guitar player ever. But then you listen to Derek Truck's greatest slide guitar player. That's what Jewish whining is like. Bernie Sanders whining is so much different than Michael Bloomberg's (laughs) whining, but they're both excellent in the way that they do it. You see what I'm saying? Of course. And so Michael, Michael, it's going to be bad. We're going to do better. Where Bernie Sanders always like, well, why does the 1% not have what the 99, 99% that doesn't have the 1% and and I'll get you this for free and that for free. And uh, so, you know, the race is over. It's going to be one of those two guys. And oh, I don't think they'll beat Trump, but they're going to wind their way all the way Wait, to the top. What do, you, what, what do you mean one of those two? It's, it, it, you mentioned three people. No, it's going to, I think at this point, it's probably going to be uh, Bloomberg, who hilariously is just spending all the money. 
and uh, Bernie Sanders. Everyone else is, uh, everyone's falling off. I think Bernie Sanders is May- probably going to take it. Mayor Pete's done? So Mayor Pete is, I, I think Mayor Pete's going to be around for a while. So I also think uh, Yang Gang will be around for a little while. Um, Mayor Pete actually talks and sounds like the most presidential. Um, the problem is he's gay. And, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the president can suck or take all the cock that he wants or put the, his cock in as many, like, that doesn't bother me. Gene Mike, I have you working on the show and you're as gay as they come. So proof is I don't mind gay people. Otherwise, I wouldn't just keep Gene Mike around. I wouldn't just have him standing here, the gayest of the people I know. I wouldn't do that. All right, we've lost Harrington again, which brings me to my next topic, which is uh, the jury has started deliberations in the Weinstein rape trial. Have you guys been following the uh, Weinstein rape trial at all? I have not. You have not. You've fallen off. Well, no, here's here's what I followed, right? The the images that we saw on this show uh, not too long ago, we looked that up, uh, the man being embarrassed, and uh, as far as I know, he's still done nothing wrong. There you go. And G-Mike, G- uh, as a gay man, you get a better read on, uh, you know, big hairy bears, um, or at least better than me and Harrington. What's uh, your takeaway so far from the Weinstein rape trials? I'll be honest. I feel kind of bad for the guy. Okay. Why is that? I, I saw footage. Of, I'm not really following it, but I saw footage of him going into court. Have you seen him? He's on a walker. He could barely walk. I feel. I honestly feel really bad for you the see? guy. see? That's the whiny Jew once again. He's oh, my he's back. And I'm like, oh. He's pretending like he's hurt and people are falling for it. You see, this is generations in the making. No one's going to beat us. No one's going to beat us. <laughs> so the jury in the Harvey Weinstein rape and sexual assault trial, they started the deliberations on Tuesday. And it happened to be they needed to review it. They called some of the witnesses to come back. And uh, I think it's like the jury was like, that's hot. I got to hear that again, you know? Bring uh, bring that bring that hot chicken here to tell me about what happened. I want to hear about it again. So here's my prediction for uh, what the announcement's going to be. So you know the the jury they brought some of the people in. They're deliberating now. Here's what makes it interesting. So we had newspaper new, newspaper story after newspaper story about how big of a creep Harvey Weinstein is. I think we can all agree that he's a creep uh, and that. Uh, probably Hollywood just kind of had a backwards way of doing things that uh, these jobs are so coveted that people in power could, uh, you know, get their little Jews dick sucked um, for some jobs. That's basically what was going on. Everyone in agreement here? Yeah. That's how Hollywood works. That's how Hollywood works. Even even like a dude like Brad Pitt, he probably sucked a Jewish dick at some point. He sucked mad J-dicks. Robert Redford. All the J-dicks. I mean, if you want to get a job in Hollywood, there's some whiny Jew who you sucked off at some point in time. Or maybe you ate their asshole. Maybe you licked their balls and they jerked off. Maybe you just had to give them a massage. But at the point, the point is there's some Jew troll that you had to give a massage to or see naked at some point or you don't have a career in Hollywood. <laughs> a Jew troll? Um, no, I think, the, I, 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 I think there's one exception to the rule all time. Okay. One person who you think never. One person got off. One person who okay. never had to ask that day. Yeah. John Wayne. John. Wayne. Why do you say John Wayne got off? I feel like he <sighs> sucked the most you dick. Do you think John Wayne was sucking J dick? I feel like that's why his career finally turned around later in life because he was John Wayne and he was holding off for a whole while and then at some point they're like, listen, bud, you're done. You've been trying to work in this town for a whole long time. You've been middle of the road. By the way, John Wayne, we're talking about the guy who was in a bunch of Western movies, right? Yeah, I mean, he was like the star of of but all that, the westerns. But that all came later in his career, and that's when he finally succumbed to the Jew troll Jew dick. <laughs> all right, now I gotta look this up because I thought John Wayne was working his whole life. No, I think he was, but I think the whole western thing was kind of a career rebirth. And I gotta be honest, I don't think I saw one. I don't think I've seen one John Wayne move movie ever. I've seen mad John Wayne movies. The one movie that made me want to see a John Wayne movie, did you guys ever see the movie Running Scared? I think Paul Walker Mm -hmm. did it. Actually, to me, a great movie, a really sick movie, but... The hockey scene at the end with the fucking fluorescent lights? We're going to pull up a couple scenes from that movie now. (laughs) What was was crazy about that movie for... uh, Firstly, uh, it kind of like parallels um, in a way, to me, Pulp Fiction of Pulp Fiction was in order, and I thought that movie was a really good movie, but it was also that I saw it in high school and it was really sick. Rotten Tomatoes, terrible rating. And I'm talking the audience score. I think the audience score on uh, Running Scared is like a 38%. Also, it had that chick who was in The Departed who's crazy hot, and she was even hotter in this movie. Via Farmiga. Oh, man, do I like that chick. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, I, you know what? I guess it's picked up since I looked it up and I was shocked by how bad the review is because I feel like 79% is fair. Can you can you pull up? There's a scene where the guy gets killed, but he does like the John Wayne walk, and he calls John Wayne the Duke. He just wants to hell yeah. That guy's portrayal of his love for John Wayne made me want to like feel inspired to go watch John Wayne movies, which I never ended up doing. But that the really sick scene in this movie. While you're trying to pull this up, the other thing, can you find this on YouTube? There's a scene where he calls the guy like a Bugs Bunny looking motherfucker who is the pimp. Do you remember the pimp? That was the other thing I loved. But the sickest scene in this movie is this kid is basically um, he's stolen evidence of um, a gang shooting that was supposed to be having uh, that basically I you know what I don't have to give away the whole plot of the movie. The really sick scene is he ends up in this uh, house where uh, basically they molest kids. G Mike, have you ever seen this movie? Running scared with Paul Walker. No. Can you can you find that really sick scene where he ends up in the house and then the lady comes to save him and uh, they're pretending like it's just their kids and she figures out that it can't just be their kids. I don't hold up. Is this the scene you were talking? What are you fucking cartoon? I'm a Mac Daddy pimp. You know that. Uh, yeah, I think it was about then where he calls him the Bugs Bunny motherfucker. All right, we're getting a little too ADD here. Go watch Running Scared in Your Own Time. Next time you got a Friday Night Yourself. I don't think it's a girlfriend movie. I think if you sat down with your girlfriend, you're like, hey, I got this movie that I really want to watch. They'd be uh, really grossed out by it. But you're right, the hockey puck scene where they're shooting, um, they, like the guy owns the local hockey team and they're shooting slap shots into the people's faces. And you know what? I have seen that movie because I know that scene. There you go. There you go. Coming to mind now. Good movie, right? Good movie? Nah, I fucking... G-Mike sucks, dude. Fucking show some respect to the god, Paul Walker. Rest in peace, dog. All right, so we were trying to say the jury's going to start to deliberate, and so here's what's interesting. They finally... This goes to court, and uh, I don't know that I followed every single one of the individuals that have come into court. The problem was... I had hope not. <laughs> yeah, I've been following around the streets like, oh, I heard these are good women to rape. No, that's, that's <laughs> Once a buyer, always a buyer. Uh, <laughs> if they fell for that guy... I'm at, least, I'm at least a little thinner than that. Yeah, guy. I've got some in-shape Jew day here. <laughs> so the problem with, like, listen, Harvey Weinstein is for sure a creep, and for sure what he did was gross. But now it's actual criminal trial. And uh, they keep, like, all the victims that they brought, I don't know all about, like, one of them, it's like, uh, all right, something terrible happened, but it was on the third time you went back to his hotel room. And, and it's like, well, I went back for the fourth time because I came back for the fourth time because I thought if I uh, had sex with him this time, for sure I would get a job. Or another one, like, said that she was raped, but then there was a conversation with a friend where she told a friend it was, like, the best orgasm of her entire life, which sounds like the least believable part of any of this. Um, but it, it's like every one of these, it's not like that. Maybe one of them was where, like, he uh, went up to the person's room. Um but the point is, it's not like it's 12 allegations where they're all very clearly rape. Um, but who knows how it might play out. It, I, I'm going to guess that he's probably going to get caught for something, but it's not going to be like the kind of thing where it's like a cunning, you know, a clear-cut rape thing where he's going to jail for the next 20 years. Um, but I do think he's going to get in trouble. But here's my prediction for the jury's announcement is, you know, there'll be like, we deliberated for a couple days, and I just want to start off by saying... He's disgusting, and I get why these women regret sleeping with him, but I also get why he would trade jobs for sex. Um, after all, he has the face of a rotten potato, and in the open market, he would probably be being in truckers. Um, we'd also like to say that we regret having to see those pictures, and if he's found guilty, can we also get some of the damages? And the judge is going to be like, yeah, there's no damages here. There's a, it's a criminal case. And they'll be like, all right, then, you know, I guess he's not really guilty. There you go. That's my prediction. Cool, cool, cool. All right, moving on. I, I yeah. do enjoy that aspect, though, of, like, some of the jurors just going home and, like, jerking off to, like, <laughs> how awful Harvey Weinstein would be like, yeah, get number seven back in here. I want to hear that story again. Now, if he gets 100% not guilty, what do you guys predict will be next for Harvey Weinstein? Another Oscar, obviously. You think he gets right back into the game? Dog, his brother is still making movies, isn't he? Can I tell you what isn't Bob still working? Can I tell you what would be really great is if someone got an Oscar for the movie about Harvey Weinstein portraying a terrible rapist. 
You know, it'd be good at that. Russell Crowe would be good at that. He just did a pretty good job with Roger Ailes. I could see that. Dude, that would be fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Bob Weinstein is still working, dude. He's got upcoming movies. He's remaking. He's making the six billion dollar man. Remember, there was the six million dollar man. It was a TV show in like the seventies or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's be obviously before my time too, but it was like a, it was a very popular show. Steve Austin, the Six Million Dollar Man. They're remaking it with Mark Wahlberg as the Six Billion Dollar Man. Bob Weinstein's still producing. If Harvey gets the all clear, was he's Bob got a Weinstein, job. Was Bob Weinstein? No, but I think the two of them hate each other. Maybe well, they just claim to hate each other. Yeah, I mean, Bob immediately distanced himself and was like, "I can't believe that monster." This, there was this article <laughs> with his wife. Harvey Weinstein's last wife was actually a smoke show. She was a model, designer of like wedding dresses, and uh, she hasn't left the house for seven months. And in this article, I didn't even read the whole thing. I think it was in Georgina the Chapman. Yeah, pull her up. She's she's gorgeous. You would think if you were Harvey Weinstein and you pulled this down, that would be it for you. You would you know you would come home and occasionally have sex with your wife, and that'd be a pretty good deal for you. But um, Jesus, anyways, not only. She's playing it like she's completely horrified like by this, and she can't leave the house, and she feels guilty. Do you guys think that she wasn't in the know? There's something to me that I feel like the way that these Hollywood couples, it's like they just, you know, this is like, it's not that it's a paper marriage. You're attracted to a guy because he has a ton of money, and you're just kind of like, you're his queen, but like you're in on the racket. Like you don't, maybe you don't know exactly what's going on, but like... Like, I don't know. Do you think really you're in love with Harvey Weinstein and you think you've got this unbelievable husband and like you guys do kid shit on the weekend? Like, I don't buy it. Well, I I think that she knew he was fucking other women. I don't necessarily think, you know what I mean? That like. He knew I, how creepy it was? She yeah. Knew how creepy it was? I think it's one of those things where it's kind of like, yeah, we have an open door policy, Harvey. You can You can fuck me. Why couldn't you fuck any like I think somebody like that has to look at it and be like, look, he, I'm married to him. Like there's a certain level of like female that like he is accustomed to. You know what I mean? Like it makes sense to me that she would then be like, yeah, of course, Gwyneth Paltrow wants to blow him. Or she's like, thank God, other people are fucking. This guy. <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with this guy. I, I'll, he'll probably be back out how, there how many? off into plants in no time, shooting boner needles into his dick. God's honest. All right. Showing up to Hollywood parties and robes. And there's no denying it anymore. If you're hanging out with Harvey Weinstein, going back to his room late at night, you know what's up. You can't pretend like you didn't know what's up. Oh, I thought it was just an audition. Yeah. Double jeopardy, motherfucker. Yeah, you know what's up. <laughs> um, yeah. So here, here's here's the God's honest quiet. Like, how many times do you think he did fuck his wife? Oh, you mean like maybe like just total paper marriage? Like they never had sex? <laughs> no, I, I think that like while they were dating, they probably fucked once or twice. But I feel like somebody like Harvey Weinstein, everything you read about this guy seems like he's only in it for the, the thrill of the hunt, only wants what he can't have. Once he's married to a woman, you think he's going to have his assistant come over to inject his dick with a needle so he can fuck his wife? Married men don't fuck their wives as is. You know, like you're going to have needle dick to fuck your your wife? That's crazy to me. You know, I can't pretend to get into the mind of these sick Jewish demons. <laughs> I can't relate to that. So, how you know, I'm not going to... I don't know. I don't know what these people do with their wife. All right. Um, Bob Murphy hit me up, and he's like, I think you'd be amused with the uh, newest report from the uh, Congressional Budget Office. Now, what's fun about the Congressional Budget Office is that Government, for the most part, this is what I remember the Congressional Budget Office. When I was in college, um, I wrote a paper on like uh, solving uh, Social Security. And if you read the Congressional Budget Reports, they knew exactly what was wrong with Social Security. You have like the politicians over here going, hey, this thing's self-funded. And then you'd read the Congressional uh, Budget Report and be like, nope, it's defunct in 2040. And uh, or I think I think it was 2040. Uh, this is already 10 years ago that I was reading these reports. And uh like, they knew exactly what the problems were. They knew exactly... How, and, like, they would say, this isn't really pre-funded because the government spent all the money. And then the politicians would say otherwise. But it's funny because you got this division in government, which is the Congressional, Congressional Budget Office. And their reporting in terms of debt and everything else would be like, no, there's a problem. Or it's like health care. We can't afford health care. And here's why we can't afford health care. And it's funny that you got one division of government that's actually running the numbers and is in the know, exact, knows exactly what the problems are and how we can solve it, and then you have the politicians who essentially just ignore that division of government. 
It's kind of like uh, your ta I wouldn't even call yeah, we could say like your tattletale friend or your know-it-all friend, and they might be wise and know what they're talking about, but you just ignore them, right? Yes, sir. So what was funny about this report, so I guess, uh, fuck, I didn't even write down the name of the report, but Bob Murphy basically sent it my way. He's like, I know you're into like the finance and debt stuff. You might find this interesting. What's great about it is that this report doesn't even tackle or it, it vastly understates the problem that we have in this country with the debt that we're running. And even by their standards, it doesn't look good. But now here's what I found so funny about this report is that basically what the report exists to do is to tell you, hey, if we make blank change, how much of a problem is that going to make for our economy? So like, let's say, um, you know, uh, they decide to do an extra tax cut. So that tax cut, what would the change be in terms of the outlook of our deficit? Does that make sense, Arrington? Uh, sure. So basically they put up the congressional, like th this report is a baseline to go, hey, under the current trajectory, here's what, like, here, here's what debt level is going to be like next to GDP. So that way, let's say like a Bernie Sanders comes along and he goes, well, I want to have health care for all. We can have a baseline by which we compare. We can compare what is that? What is the cost going to be of healthcare to all? Is it going to bankrupt our country? Are we going to be able to finance our debt? Those are kind of like the questions that you have to answer. Will it get in the way of growth? Is it going to crowd out private investing? Um, these are kind of like the. Also, at what point? This is almost like you ever heard of computer singularity, Harrington? Uh, yes. So if you've never heard of it, it's basically when computers become self-aware and they can improve themselves and all of a sudden the improvements in technology become like uh, um, exponentially greater because computers can just self-repair them and all of a sudden like technological advances that took us a hundred years, computers are able to figure out in a minute and that's when they think that once computers become self-aware, they'll kind of bypass us and they call it singularity. There's almost a similar thing with debt when all of a sudden all of the money that we raise from taxes has to go to just paying to finance the debt. And none of that is actually going into things like uh, building the roads or literally every dollar that you make is just going to finance the debt. And that's also part of the things that kind of come into play in these reports is at what point are we just going to be spending money to finance the interest and not even going to be paying down the debt? These are all very interesting questions. But now... What's interesting is that so the CBO report is kind of supposed to exist as the baseline, but this as being the baseline is based on assumptions, and you just change a single assumption, and all of a sudden uh, our spending isn't at 82% of GDP, it's 175% of GDP. And the factors are as small as like, oh, or is there going to be an interest rate of 2% or is there going to be an interest rate of 4%? Um, are the uh, tax breaks that uh, that expire in 2025 going to go away? Um, are we actually going to start taxing the Cadillac plans as stated? Um, and... <coughs> What's interesting about that, here would be my comparison and what makes this report so funny. Imagine if the economy was like a plane that's flying and we keep adding weight to the plane. We just keep adding weight to the plane and they're going while they're flying the plane. They're like, listen, we can fly the plane as long as we understand um, the wind patterns. And then you got the, the office that's in charge of wind patterns like, yeah, we got no idea where the fuck's the wind's blowing. That's what our, <laughs> I'm telling you, that's what our and, economy and is can certainly and that's feel what good this Congressional Budget Office report is. And so here, by the way, and to state the problem of like these little adjustments and how much it, it completely changes and why these reports are such garbage, I thought this was interesting. I'm going to read from this. As a share of GDP, federal debt and deficits are now projected to be lower over the next three de decade, the CBO projected last year. So now what's interesting about that, that's a quote directly from the document. Now, if I was Donald Trump, I would show up on the debate trail and go, hey, listen, you guys are complaining about the deficit and you're complaining about spending, but it happens to be that I improved, according to the Congressional Budget Office, um, the projected deficits. And But what's interesting is the reason that that changed is because they, uh, I'm going to read this, um, and it's just while well, we expect interest rates... There's a marginal improvement from last year to this year in the Congressional Budget Office's reporting because federal debt and deficits are now projected to be lower over the next three decades. <laughs> There's no way that they can predict basically what interest rates are going to be over the next three decades. And so the entire report is just a meaningless thing for the reason that I said with the airplane. Now, here are some other interesting things that I just kind of pulled out of this, art, art, um, this document. One is they talk about population growth and... Um, all of the factors by which we're not going to have a lot of population growth, which becomes a problem in terms of financing like healthcare, social security, and all of these things as people age out of the population. 
But when you read that in a Congressional Budget Office report, what they're really outlining is, hey, we need more people here because this is a Ponzi scheme. If there are more people at the bottom to continually fool what's going on, at the, you understand? Like, they're outlining a Ponzi scheme. They're like, hey, we need to bring more people into this. Um, now, the other thing that they talk about is uh, the, basic, uh, the basis of our fiscal policy is essentially, hey, if things go bad, we'll lower the interest rate to stimulate the economy. That's like their main thing. And what they outline as being the risk to the current climate is that if we keep the interest rate low when the economy is supposedly good, what are we going to do when the economy becomes bad? Harrington, does that make sense? Uh, move to Ireland. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? They go, hey, we've got this one tool. There's only one thing that we don't, don't have to do in this recession, which is we're going to lower the interest rate. But now if we already have the interest rate low and the economy's cooking along, well, then what do we do when we slow down? And to me, that is like they're basically describing something that doesn't work. Like, in other words, it's an artificial thing where it's like, hey, we need to keep this tool because it's the only tool that we have. But if that tool really worked, we should be having like more economic growth that like things were actually kind of advancing and moving ahead which I, I don't seem to see happening. So I, I just think like that's kind of just proof to the fact, well, I, honestly, we're free market people here. I think the high mind would make better decisions um, than it, clearly these politicians that are just kind of fucking doing a guessing game. Um, but then here was the other thing that I found really to be fascinating that was outlined in this report. And I'm sure you guys are already aware of this. It's probably obvious to my audience, but discretionary spending, about half of all discretionary spending is dedicated to national defense. And the rest is for an array of federally funded investment activities, including education, transportation, housing assistance, veterans, healthcare, blah, 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 blah. And with the fact that 50% of our money is spent on defense, you would think that we're like getting attacked here every minute. Like, you know. We are Robbie Bernstein. The American way of life is under attack. <laughs> I think you'd like, like, in other words, if you want to go, hey, what's the risk to our people? Like, let's just imagine. We'll concede, hey, government should tax people, and they should have a budget, and they should spend money. We'll concede all that. Well, now, what are we going to spend the money on? I think you'd want to spend it on the immediate risk, which are things like preventing death. And I would say most of the death in this country is not because we're being invaded by foreign governments. Most of it's probably becoming from, fine, let's spend the money on health care. Fine, let's spend the money on education. Let's make these investments. Like, can you imagine, by the way... Uh, like every other country in the world, imagine if we'd spent zero money on defense and we spent all of that money on public goods. We just built fucking giant slides and these beautiful parks and statues that were worth visiting. And we invested all the money in education and all the money in hospitals. You know how we're saying like the population and we need people to keep this Ponzi scheme going alive. Fuck going to war with other countries. Like they're smartest and brightest. would just want to move here because we got the best shit. And think about all the tourist dollars we could attract if literally every dollar just got spent on fucking free amusement parks. Now, I don't think government should operate in that way. But when you just start real, like, why would you spend 50% of the fucking budget on defense? It, it, it can't be that much so, of a risk. So that yeah. we can bully every other country. That's what it is. Because well, our debt, yeah. we can take on literally as much debt as we want. Because at the end of the day, we'll beat you up. Yeah, it's the funny thing that, like, yeah, China, come, China come get that money from me. So that we could buy the equipment to be like, hey, fuck you, try and take your money. <laughs> the other thing that was interesting is that even within this article, there's a, um, there's a uh, correspondence between fertility and wealth, where basically when the economy's going well, people have more kids, like the ratio of the amount of kids that they have um, goes up, and when everyone has no money, it goes down. Um, and there's something very interesting. I, I, like, I wish I better understood game theory. But I definitely think that there's like an element of game theory to dating and human relationship. And you could see, I think we talked about it with the Bitcoin standard and in time preference. But when the economy is good, I think culturally people start making better decisions. They make investments for the future. They have a more positive aspect uh, outlook. And that's why it's so gross that government gets in the way. And really, money is everything, dude. If we all had money and financial means, I think we'd be more charitable. And uh, I'm ranting here. So I would like to invite on our guest, and the next topic I'd like to explore is um, I feel like even within my own life, you know, we talk about freedom on the show, and I think some of it is also even just freedom within your own brain of how you invest your time and the decisions that you make. And I would say to this day, I still will invest my time in labor activities such as kind of like sitting on my computer, researching topics, or even 
the jobs that I've tried to work. Um, and I think that's because I was kind of brought up in a school environment and uh, kind of a do homework kind of environment. And what I'm finding, even on the sales thing, that on the networking side, or at least with like comedy gigs, more of it's coming from like the people that I've met or like human interaction. And the point I'm trying to get at is that there's a lot of different ways to make money in life. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of different ways that you can go out there and do it. Um, and I feel like I almost have a box in mind about the good ways to go do that. Uh, and so Kyle has a very different lifestyle. And so well, let's bring him on. Let's talk to Kyle. You got him here? Can you hear me? Fuck yeah. What's up? Do you just live in that Steamboat Comedy shirt? Not that I don't like the shirt, but. <laughs> it's the only shirt I own. I have like 25 copies of them, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess. Uh, I'm also wearing no pants under here. Are you really? Can you stand up? I want to see this. You know, you don't want to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like your dick out. Actually, you're I'm just. Pants or you're wearing boxers. Now I'm Donald Duckin, man. That's just straight. It's just box. <laughs> All right, good. Why do you spend a lot of time, you know, just shirts and no, no, like, I, I mean, I would at least be in underwear if I was you. Well, I mean, I was just always was a big fan of Winnie the Pooh, and he looked like he wore it pretty well, just the shirt, no pants, and uh, just trying to keep that going. Yeah, do you also just walk around with the honey pot to really feel the vibe of it? Exactly, yeah. Actually, I'm wearing I'm wearing pajama pants, which is what I pretty much always wear if I'm not working. Ever since I was a stoner and I saw Pineapple Express in college, that's all I wear at home is pajama pants. Yeah, I feel like uh, when I was in camp, I used to wear a lot of pajama pants. That was a camp thing. You know, even if like, you were going... Uh, if you're going to like the cafeteria for lunch, just pajama pants. Relaxed look. There you go. Yeah. I still sleep in pajama pants sometimes. I like the feel of pajama pants. No underwear underneath. Just like, you know, but there's something to the foot. Do you, do you sleep in them? Sometimes. Mostly I sleep uh, just in the boxers or, or in the nude. I or, you know. I experimented with sleeping in the nude. It's not for me. I like being able to, uh, like, cut my balls within my boxers and make sure that they're going to be in one place all night. I don't like it if they're kind of, like, just dangling in the wind, which is... Uh, you ever watch the show Venture Brothers? No. Well, Venture Brothers, my, it's one of the funniest shows ever. I put it behind It's Always Sunny on my all-time favorite list. Uh, nice. And there was a scene once where, basically... This villain finally captured these two guys. He always wanted to capture these two guys, and he finally captured these two guys, and he had to release them because there's the Guild of Calamitous Intent, and they've got rules for capturing people, and he had to let one of them go because their testicles had twisted around each other, and it was a form of torture that he wasn't allowed to hold on to them. And that freaked me out, and I looked it up, and apparently your, your, your testicles can actually wrap around, like internally... Your left testicle can actually wrap around your right, right testicles so like they're out of place. And like you got. You're talking like inside the sack, right? Within, within the sack, it, like your, your testicles can become intertwined. And you know what? Oh, Jesus. Someone, you know when someone puts a thought in your head and like you just. Like, you're like, well, now I'm afraid of that. So, like, I'll never be the same now. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've never been the same. I like, I like, I, from the day I saw that, my balls started to hurt. And I'm like, oh my God, that's going to happen to me. And so every night before I go to bed, I put my, I, I like cocoon my balls into like a Fort Knox concoction just to make sure they're not moving. I don't want to think about my balls like you roll over in your sleep. Because sometimes my balls, they like they hang real tight, like they're like close to the body. But sometimes like, yeah. like if you get into like a sauna, like a warm type situation, they start getting a little more droopy. And when they're all droopy and shit, like flapjacky, kind of like, you know, like a real loose pancake kind of situation... The last thing Yeah, I saw you in the in the hot tub in Steamboat and your nuts were coming right out of the bottom of your shorts, man. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm disturbed. You, know, you don't wanna you don't wanna roll over in your sleep and walk up wake up in horrible pain, confused because your uh, balls have become <laughs> intertwined. <laughs> Yeah, that would be, uh, that's not what you want to do. You got to get, I've seen on uh, a podcast, I have uh, boxers now where they have like separate compartments for your fucking, your schlong and your. Yeah, sheath, dude. Sheath yeah. Everywhere. It's like they got a little. Do you wear them? I do. I do. Not not always because I don't have that. Are they comfy? Them. They're comfy. You, you put your dick in the dick hole and then they got like a little shelf right. for your nuts. You keep everything separated. They're excellent for uh, like if you're doing any like physical training. 
Um, they're great because you get you can you know it's like that that uh, that song you got to keep them separated. Da, da, da. You know what talking about uh, the offspring, yeah, of course. Um, you know, it happens to be, listen, dude, that guy's awesome. He almost came to the show. Uh, Robert, he's the uh, CEO over at Sheath. Those boxers are legit. Like they're they're fucking unbelievable material, super comfortable. I just need a couple more pairs. I wear them every day. But that dick hole's great. You keep your dick separate from your balls. You wouldn't believe how nice it is to have those two things separated from themselves. That sounds pretty good. I mean, is there my question is though, is there more than one dick size? Like do you have to order the pant size separate from the dick size? Like let's say, you know, I'm a short guy with the small ass, but I got just a, a magnum dong and I need a bigger pouch but a smaller pair. Are there options like that or is it just one size does it scale? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I get it. You've got that big old dick to match that big, thick mustache of yours, and you're concerned, hey, my dick might be too big for the sheath hole. That's what you're saying to me. Right. Rob, am I going to be able to fit my dick in the sheath hole? And <laughs> from my experience as a man with, you know, a fairly average, normal, scaling, small penis, um, no, I would say the sheath hole is fairly flexible, so uh, I, I don't think you're going to have to, like, get a spoon and try and, like, start thumbing it in there kind of situation. I think, uh, <laughs> Just mashing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's not like cooking up heroin. I think it's fairly wide-lipped. It's going to be comfortable for dicks in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> Mr. Harrington, I feel like you've uh, had your Johnson within a sheath as well. Um, would you say men of larger penis structures would have a hard time getting their dick into the sheath hole? How would I know? <laughs> Fair enough, because I don't know. You might have you might have thought about it. You might have looked at it and thought, if my dick was too big, would I be deprived of separating my no. dick from my balls? And I, I'm just gonna say so, the, the sheath people, they're they're scientists. They've run the test, they got a lab, they've been shoving all sorts of dicks inside of sheath holes and it's good for all sizes. Naturally, so, yeah. Keep your snapback hat, you know? Robbie, I'm gonna say this. If I had a bigger piece, I think the sheath would work even better, right? Like think about it like this, right? Like you if you had a dagger, right, you put that in a scabbard, it's like, oh cool, that's where a dagger goes. A sword right. needs a sheath. I'm I'm a dagger all day. I, you can still kill someone with a dagger. I'm rocking a dagger. If you got a sword, get a sheath. There you go. So right. Mr. Kyle That's like putting like a little smoky tiny sausage in like a full hot dog bun. You know what I mean? <laughs> to be a lot of extra room to operate. That's where I'm at. You're moving around a whole bunch. <laughs> um. So when I was on your guys's podcast, what was the name? What's the name of your podcast? Is it the Steamboat Comedy Podcast? Did I make that up? The Steamboat Comedy Podcast. I'm actually editing uh, the one we did together right now because uh, I was a complete drunken asshole, and I've been editing it for hours to make myself not seem like such a douchebag. And it's not. It's not going so hot, but I'm gonna get there hopefully in the next 10 hours <laughs> anyways this was on my mind because we kind of i haven't really flushed out all my thoughts on this but i do think that uh there's mm -hmm. something about having like just a totally free mind we've talked about it on the podcast before that i think sometimes um there's opportunity and it's not so it's just kind of about taking it i think the um example that we gave is like you know, you work in an office and the court, like everyone's in a cubicle, the corner office is just sitting there open. And one day someone walks up to the boss like, hey, can I use that? And they're like, yeah, just take it. And then all of a sudden everyone's upset like, wait, that's not fair. That guy gets it. And sometimes that's the system by which you take advantage of opportunity is things are just sitting there. And whoever just has the balls to go take it, it's now theirs. It, like life is not always more reasoned or more fair than that. And I think sometimes we even like are constrained within our own minds of where should I invest my time? What are the opportunities? What can I go ahead and do and take? Um, the joke that I have in my act at the moment is kind of uh, in regards to uh, marijuana being legal now and me going to school when I had a passion for smoking weed. And like, if I'd stuck him with that from high school, that might be something that I actually turned into a profit making opportunity. And I, I also right. legitimately like whatever you can fucking monetize in life. God bless you. If it's like playing I, flute fart tunes out of your asshole there is no one who can tell me that if you make more than a college professor playing fart flute tunes out of your asshole, 
Good for you. Like, their thing is not more noble. You're making a living playing fucking flute far tunes. God bless you. Like, Floyd Mayweather doesn't know how to read. He's made more money than I've ever made in my entire lifetime because he's mastered a certain skill which is entertaining for people. God bless him. And that, to me, is kind of like the free mind outset of, like, whatever the fuck you can monetize or, like, you can explore your passions and get paid well from them, that's fucking winning. Like, that, you know what I mean? I don't know. Fuck Hell yeah. Fuck, like, more dignified activities. Like, I, it's not for us to kind of correct other people's behavior or rewire that people should pay philosophers more than boxers. If you can, if you got something, you're making money for it. God bless. And so I find in my own life, I like, even take my comedy career. I, like, I am not financially, in, well, I, I built my entire life around my comedy career. But, like, I haven't gone all in mentally the way I would if, like, I was, you know, opening up a pizza store. Like, if my dream was to open up a pizza store, and opening a pizza store, there's a pretty direct route on how to do it, I might take out a big mm. loan for a hundred grand and go, well, like, you know, I can turn around to my parents and explain the business model of the pizza store. I can't really explain the business model of trying to become a stand-up comic, so to, like, take on a $100,000 loan pursuing this, which might mean not working a job for a year just to pay my rent to try, you know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a platform to do that. Mentally, there's a roadblock of, like, well, this sounds, but the mental roadblock of one to the other, it's like, I think what I'm getting at is that, like, mentally, you know what I mean? It's like I'm more invested in, like, the school system of, hey, let's read literature. Let's try and figure things out. Um, and there's, like, money and knowledge. And that might all just be wrong. There might just be more money in actually human relationships, showing up to places, being really good. And, like, there's also – I'm learning that with sales. There's so many different skills that you can monetize. You don't have to be a guy who necessarily sits down and can do math. And so – your life experience was you guys didn't do college. You went out and did some wacky fucking party thing uh, working for, like, National Park. So I'm giving you the floor to tell us a little bit about that experience. Sure. Well, I actually – I did go to college. Um, but, like, my buddy Jared that you met up here, he <laughs> he skipped college and just went straight into the National Parks, which is what – especially nowadays with what a fucking racket higher education is – I'd recommend that to anybody, especially if I had kids or something like that. Uh, basically, not a lot of people know that there's uh, a lot of really cool places to work in the country, uh, especially in national parks or like here, like ski resorts, like seasonal work is what we call it. So like uh, I did five summers at Glacier National Park. And the reason why it's comparable to college is because it's like, you know, you're on your own, you're in like dorm style living, you're meeting people from all over the country and all over the world. Uh, and you're partying and you're all, everyone's banging each other as you do when you're young, like college age shit. And, uh, but the difference is you're getting actual work experience in some of the most beautiful places. You're not taking any debt. You're actually making money and building resumes and shit like that. So I did that um, after college. I was kind of a fucking turd through college. I just had some bullshit jobs. And it was once I got out of college that I was like, oh, wait, I like rent is how much? And I'm making how much? And taxes are how much? Because I was just told like, oh, you know, a bunch of you pay back your loans, kind of specific detail, you know? And so... Uh, yeah, I actually, after a couple of years of just like sucking the corporate pickle at uh, Best Buy, I was living in Cincinnati doing jack shit. Um, one thing led to another. I was actually going to teach English in South Korea, and then they uh, did a background check and found out I'm a child molester. I mean, I found out I had a DUI, <laughs> and then they wouldn't let me go to South Korea anymore. And so through a friend, he was like, hey – a friend of mine invited me out to this place called Glacier National Park. You should come check it out before you go to Korea. And so I was like, okay. So I signed up. Meantime, the Korea thing fell through. And I just really enjoyed this lifestyle out in Glacier and uh, just started doing that. And then that was like summer only up there because that's like north. Glacier National Park is like north, northwest Montana, like the top of the Rockies. It's only about 30 miles from Canada. So in the winter, everything is under like, 16 feet of snow so nothing's happening and so what everyone would do there is they would work somewhere and then come here to steamboat springs in the winter and i did that back and forth for about five years 
and uh, it was fucking awesome. But now I'm here year round uh, just basically because as cool as that is, it's more like summer camp. You can't really have like a career or much of like a, you can't like settle down up there. Um, so yeah, just kind of on that note, I mean, if you know anyone who's like in high school and you're like, you know, understand that college is a fucking scam. Like, Hey, I got a better idea. Go work at Yellowstone, go work at, uh, you know, Telska or Olympia national park in Maine or Glacier national park is where I was, which is the fucking best glaciers, the shit. And then you get in on the scam because, you know, we're all getting cheated by who the government decides to give a little bit too much money to. And in your case, you got True. on the good side of it, which is it's going to the national parks and you were able to fuck some other horny young kids, party hard and not have to be in a school environment and actually be in a place that yeah. looks real fucking pretty and shit. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, gorgeous up there, bud. It's beautiful. And yeah, I got like management experience on my resume. I met people from all over the world. Like I just went and... Uh, backpacked around Europe a couple of years ago and everywhere, every country I went to, there was somebody that I knew from uh, Montana, which is, I was in Prague. I was in Romania. I was in uh, uh, Amsterdam and in Germany and all over the place. So it's, um, and that's pretty cool shit. By the way, that's one of those things that, I mean, school just kind of, I, I mean, as much as they can, like, pretend like they can, and I guess you can work on group projects, but at the end of the day, life is a social sport. You, like, you, you can't go at this thing alone. Like, I mean, just run the most simple experiment, which uh, is if no one existed tomorrow and there was no technology or you couldn't figure out how to do fucking shit, dude. Electricity, you're going to invent that shit from scratch. The, like, you know what I mean? Like, we all got to interact with each other. Yeah. and. Management skills legit. I'm not good at it. I got to manage a couple of people now, and part of it's just like the willingness to be the prick in the room and point out when people are fucking up. And you know, I don't like to be that guy. I, I like I just not who I like to be. I like to be everyone's friend, and I like to be able to look the other way when people are like this is not. I don't want to have to. I hate being even responsible for myself. I last thing I want to have to be is responsible for other people. Um, and so like, right. those are, those are legit skills. And now to me, you guys are doing the coolest thing ever, which is, uh, I, I love skiing. It's my favorite thing in the world. If I wasn't doing stand up, I would want to just be a ski bum. I've even had the thought in the back of my mind when like, I was really depressed in life. Like, listen, dude, you can just become a ski bum. You know what that's like? Like you just find some shitty mountain job and you get to ski. And so you're doing a pretty cool thing. You, you manage the restaurant up there, you ski all day and now you're starting to, uh, um, build a bit of a comedy scene, which uh, you guys are starting to do local shows, and it's cool because you're getting up in front of crowds. But uh, I don't know. Yep. Tell us about it a little bit. Yeah, hell yeah. So uh, I had done uh, stand up once or twice before coming out here, but because I was out in Montana and I literally lived like in an Indian reservation in the middle of nowhere, I never thought it was going to happen. Um, but I enjoyed it. And uh, about a year. Well, a little over a year ago, now it would have been last January, uh, somebody up here, like a friend of a friend, put a thing on Facebook that's like, hey, we're thinking about uh, crashing an open mic and doing some stand-up comedy, like crashing a music open mic. And so I was like, all right, right on. Somebody tagged me in it because they knew I had tried it before. And so uh, I heard about it. We ended up going there, uh, doing the open mic. It went super well. Uh, and we just kind of started capitalizing on it. The, the girl who started doing the group initially, like who made the Facebook post, uh, she would just decide, she's like, I'm going to be your manager for like the five of us at this open mic. And then she's like, I'm going to book this bar in town and you're going to do a comedy show. I'm like, Oh, okay. Which all of us had done like two open mics. Some of us only done like two or three total. Um, and we went and we did it and there was like a crowd of like 80 people and it went really well. And also we're like, holy shit. And we started going. And of course we got in over our heads. The next show was kind of a shit show. And there were some people involved who uh, didn't take it very seriously. They're like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to get shit faced and stand in front of people. Um, and we had some kind of fallout and I, I kind of ended up, uh, the group was on the rocks. And so I kind of like jumped in and was like, I'm going to take this thing over and try to make it a little bit more legit. And so that's what we've done in the last like um, six to eight months is uh, trying to like be more uh, structured. We do like open mic here once a week now. And then we actually like book shows and we bring in people. We brought in uh, a 
Richard Cooper, who's a really cool guy. And then uh, a couple friends out of Denver that are good. And then uh, this fucking bozo out of New York named Robbie something. And he went up and he just fucking ate shit. And this is what we just did. It was terrible. But uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, that's the thing. We're, we're trying to network and we're like building like a scene. And we always have good turnouts around here because we're um, – Steamboat's not completely isolated like where I was at in Montana. It's a town that has shit in it. But if you wanted to go see like a stand-up comedy show, you'd have to drive, you know, two and a half hours to Denver or Boulder or something. So now we're kind of making it where like all the people around here who have been into it but don't want to go so far, we're putting on shows for them and then bringing in people. It's kind of like a uh, like a destination um, place to do comedy. Just to hop in here, I, I get hit up by people quite a bit, and they go, uh, "Hey, I'm think I've been thinking about doing stand up. I'm not sure if I want to do stand up. Sure, how do I get started? All this shit." Here's what's great. I, mm. Kyle, talk. Kyle's like me. You're a lifer. You found this thing. You love it more than anything. You're going to be doing it. You're going to keep building it. I hope by next year, me oh, yeah. do a fucking ski tour. But the point is, you just you, you did it once, and you figured out, "Hey, man, I, I like I'm on this journey. I love this thing." And I tell that to people all the time. Mm-hmm. If you're interested, firstly, just show up to an open mic. People are gonna people are gonna be so bad. You're gonna watch them, and you're gonna go. Well, at least I'm better than that guy. That's gonna give you the balls to go up there. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. Then you go up there, mm-hmm. and hopefully you don't like it. I hope for your sake that you go up there and you don't like it, and then you can move on with your life. <laughs> because if you do love it, you're in for a fucking rocky ride, and it's a kind of a well, you're fucked. You're doing it. In, you're doing it in a much more pleasant way than I am because you already have like a good lifestyle built around it, and like you know, you're kind of taking an original path, and you're getting up in front of real crowds. But I'm telling you, the best thing that can happen to you is that you try open mic and you realize it's not for you. But if it fucking clicks for you, then you're in it, and now boom, you're a comic. Just fucking keep working at it, and that's what it is. Yeah, buddy, and it's brutal. We uh, we we kind of have there's about six of us who started this when we first started doing it and we do it kind of regularly and the thing that's nice about this town is that uh because there's not a lot of comedy options everyone comes out they're really supportive you know what i mean but the bad thing is that they come out and they're really supportive and so that gives a bunch of people here a false sense of uh how good they are i guess i phrase that but uh so we we did it a bunch of times here and we had a bunch of people who were like, man, like I'm really good at comedy. Look at all these laughs I'm getting. And then we went to Denver and did like some like grungy open mics at like two in the morning, you know, which is what most people do when they're starting out because you got to get whatever you can for stage time. And we had some people just eat big fucking bowls of shit. And they're like, man, like, well, wow, they really suck down here in Denver. And it's just like, no, man, like, actually, you suck. <laughs> You're not actually that good. You've just been doing it in front of all your friends here in Steamboat. So that's part of another thing I'm trying to do is get people to come around and uh, go to different places and check out different scenes so that we're not all just living in our own little bubble. Um, so, yeah, there's, like you said, most people like you go up and you're like, Oh wow, this is really hard and it sucks. And I feel like a lot of people here went up for the first couple of times and are like, wow, this is really easy. And I'm really good at it. Uh, and they're kind of slowly finding out that it's more difficult yeah, thought, than they listen, thought it was. I, I watched the show. Like all of you guys were funny. And some of you guys had some like really, really crafted jokes and like all of you guys, I mean, part sure. of that you've experienced the good vibes of like good crowds. So like you just kind of go up there with confidence and kind of like pure originality because it's like good vibes, but all you guys were funny. Sure. Had a great time. Um, sadly, I mean, I can chat all night with you. I got to let Harrington out because he's got the, uh, the show at New York comedy club and he's got to like export something off the computer, but I'm going to have you back on again. Cause uh, we'll talk, uh, we'll talk some libertarian bullshit. Cause I know you're a member of that team also. I sure am. Yeah. Always good chat with you, bud. We'll be in touch and give me a ring whenever you want. Fuck yeah. All right. Have a good night, Kyle. All right. Good night, Robbie. See you later. See you, Harrington. All right. Later, dude. Peace, man.